0: What's happening, all you beautiful geniuses out there, and welcome to another transcendent mind expanding episode of Jazz Topia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, coming at you from sunny, scenic Ridgewood, Queens. And spring is here, vaccinations are flying off the shelves, and live performance is slowly but surely returning to New York City. I've been thrilled to see venues putting on new performances, uh, people playing around. Music is coming back, gang. I know it's been a long year, but here we are. Uh, I know that uh, for those of you in the New York City area, Culture Lab LIC in Long Island City has been putting on performances since last summer in an outdoor environment, and they've really been putting on some great shows. So keep an eye out for them. The Nicole Zoritis group will be playing this Saturday, May 15th. Among others, I've also seen that the 55 Bar is putting on performances indoors once again as well as Small's and some of the other jazz clubs around and uh, various bars and cafes. So be sure to go out and catch some of your favorite local musicians in their element as we return to a world rife with improvised art. Speaking of jazz clubs, Matt Garrison's Brooklyn Jazz Institution Shapeshifter Lab has been hit pretty hard by the COVID lockdowns. And they're currently doing a GoFundMe campaign to raise some money for the club and make sure that they can bounce back strong, get back into business as we get back into the world of live performance. So if you've got a little money lying around and you want to help support the cause, you can go over to GoFundMe.com and search for Help Save Shapeshifter Lab to donate a little money to the cause and help get this Brooklyn Jazz Institution back on its feet. Well, as many of you are all too aware, uh, this year has been a little rugged for the musical community, but as we begin to return to our pre-COVID lifestyles, I want to make a point to really reflect on the lessons that I've learned over the course of the year and try to approach the future with a renewed sense of inspiration and enthusiasm and really try to appreciate many of those things that it may have been easy to take for granted in pre-COVID times. One of the real silver linings of this year has been the opportunity to take advantage of some of this futuristic Jetson-style video conference technology that we have at our fingertips to really stay connected with our friends and family across the country and across the world. In the spirit of staying connected and also uh, of staying involved with the music despite a lack of live performance, some friends of mine and I decided it would be fun to meet up once a week over Zoom to play some recordings for each other, to try to inspire each other with some new recordings that we hadn't heard before, or even just kick back and enjoy checking out some old stuff that we were all familiar with that we just hadn't had the opportunity to hear for a while. Uh, It was really a lot of fun to be exposed to many different records that I might not have been familiar with, and it was a lot of fun to go back and really try to stay involved with actively listening to new music and really trying to appreciate the music for what it was. So I feel like this episode is in many ways a result of that hang, and I just want to give a shout out to Ray, Josiah, Tyler, Steve, and Manbox for hanging out and uh, trading some really great music. It's been a lot of fun, and I recommend you guys take advantage of our futuristic technology and stay up with your friends and Really stay involved with the music. All right, well, without further ado, I am thrilled to introduce my guest this week, one of the great drummers and composers of our time, John Hollenbeck. John is a prolific composer and bandleader, having written and released a tremendous body of work with the John Hollenbeck Large Ensemble, the Claudia Quintet, and the Frankfurt Radio Big Band, among many others. His recent releases include the John Hollenbeck Large Ensemble's All Can Work, the Claudia Quintet's Super Petite, and Songs You Like A Lot, the third and final installment of a trilogy of albums of John's amazing arrangements of popular songs performed by the Frankfurt Radio Big Band with Theo Bleckman and Kate McGarry on vocals and Gary Versace on piano and organ. This discussion is a part of a series we've been doing over here at Jazztopia uh, that focuses on the far-reaching influence of trombonist composer Bob Brookmeyer and many of his students. Uh, I was really thrilled to get to talk to John about his creative process as a composer, the inspiration behind his pieces, and some of the lessons that he carries with him from his days working with Mr. Brookmeyer. I really learned a lot from our conversation, and I know there's a lot of concepts in here that I'll be thinking about for a long time. I know you're going to love it, so without further ado, here he is, John Hollenbeck. Well, thanks for doing the show, John. It's an honor to have you. I really appreciate it. And um, before each of these, I always make a point to dive as deep as I can into the, the works of the musicians I'm talking to. And uh, it's been really inspiring to go you know, back over your catalog and to listen to as much of your music as I can. But you've given me a real challenge because you've got a really astounding body of work. I mean, you've really put out a, a ton of music. It's hard to imagine you're getting a lot of sleep. <laughs> and uh, I'm wondering if you can give me a little insight into, one, where you um, s- look for inspiration for new music, and then once you have an idea, how you go about what your methodology is in trying to take that idea and turn it into uh, you know, an arrangement for a large ensemble or for the Claudia Quintet or for any of your other groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think I'm always looking for inspiration. So it, it um, became apparent many years ago that, that I could really use anything for inspiration. Like it could be music, it could be non music, uh, it could be numbers, images, it could be an experience of some kind. Um, you know, anything that was like somehow meaningful. Or I wanted something I wanted to share with others. So it could be a book, uh, you know. Um, that uh, That's usually, not all the time. Sometimes it starts just with music, but a lot of times it starts with something that doesn't have anything to do with music. And then <clears throat> the fun is is translating that to music, you know. So this kind of process of like, now, now, what do I do with this? I've got this thing, and then I, you know, I somehow want want it to be related to to the music. Although sometimes it doesn't matter. Also, it can just be what I would call a cell, and and through that cell, then I make a piece, and then nobody has to even know that it started with this, you know, certain little thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it it's cool if people know. Sometimes it might, might might, bring some kind of extra meaning to the to listening experience. Um, but other times it's just a, a way for me to, to start in a different place than I would um, like if I just kind of started in a, uh, where I, you know, where my habits would take me. Mm -hmm. So if, as long as I kind of start somewhere else and then, you know, create like a whole process based on that, where I started, um, it's not a guarantee, but, but the the I think the goal would be that I don't repeat myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and also that I, oh, I don't repeat, you know, um, what others have done. And that I, you know, kind of, um, create something that's somehow like its own thing. It's unique. It doesn't have to be like revolutionary, but it's like, uh, at least I have not heard that yet. Sure. So, so it's, therefore it's like, that's where I want to be. Like in the, I haven't heard that yet area. Yeah. Um, of course through through ignorance it's possible that you know i just haven't heard <laughs> something and it's been done already but you know i try to um i, I try to uh check out a lot of music and I, I like lots of different kinds of music so um you know it hasn't happened too many times that uh you know i i think i have this like incredible uh unique thing and then i realize oh somebody uh you know already did that sure um, it's happened a few times, uh, but yeah, for the most part. Um, so let's see, that was only the first part of your question, I think. Uh.
0: Yeah. Although I'll, I'll add, I think that that's uh, really a feature is of, you, of your music, is that you're able to have these very different realms. Like I feel like each piece is unique, and yet it all speaks to your own individual approach. I mean, it's very def- definitively you. But everything that you do is slightly different. And I, I imagine that, um, from what you're talking about, that having the inspiration come from so many different places really gives you the opportunity to try out different things and and uh, you know, avoid falling into your own, let's say, cliches or your own habits.
2: Yeah, for sure. Everybody has those. Yeah. For sure. And and it's easy to in the moment when you're writing, you're kind of vulnerable and you're looking for something. So if there's something like within reach, you you reach for it, you know? Yeah. Um, One of the maybe advantages, a disadvantage that I maybe turned into an advantage is being a drummer. I didn't have a lot of, um, harmonic, uh, let's say progressions at my fingertips, like, like a guitarist or pianist might have.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and so also, as a non uh, you know pitch player i didn't have like a lot of licks or even scales or you know i didn't didn't really have that it's there i know it but it's not like right there Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in a way that was you know it made it harder at first because i'm like where do i go i can't do this i can't do this ah you know where am i but then um you know down the line i realized oh that's it's kind of an advantage. When I started hearing my friends write music and I was writing music and their music was really good. Uh, I'm speaking really generally, but, you know, a, a lot of it kind of sounded like music I had heard before. And it was almost like music that's about music or music that's based on music. And I was like, yeah, that's really good. I mean, like technique could be good and craft and it could be a nice tune. But then, you know, a lot of times it was something... I thought, well, but you know, it's kind of, I've heard, kind of heard that before, you know?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And that might be a, a thing for me that's, that I had since a very little, when I was very little, that sometimes is, is, is a drag, but it's that, you know, I, I, I never wanted to hear, um, the same thing again, you know? So even, you know, when I first started listening to music, it seemed like, all the beats were the same
1: mm-hmm.
2: now of course I know it's more nuanced than that they're not all the same and even some of them that are technically the same have a different feel a different sound you know now I understand that more but it you know there was years where I was just like everything's like a backbeat on two and four like what's going on like all it's all the same stuff you know and I so I didn't deal with like lots of music because it just in a in a kind of surface way, sounded like other music. Okay. You know. Yeah. Um, I've gotten over that a lot, but you know, even chord progressions. You know, when I, uh, there was a lot of pop music, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's not a new tune. I've heard that progression before." You know, and then sure. immediately I would li- I'd just be like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not gonna listen to that." You know. Sure. Um, so that's so, something so- I just had since I was young, but you know, I've gotten better at that.
0: <laughs> sure so you're so when you're a young kid you're try, you're looking for all kinds of different styles of music because you're getting bored of just listening to the you know
2: whatever the yeah i mean that's how it. i got that's how i got into jazz you know because mm-hmm. when i heard jazz i was just like what is that you know like sure, i yeah. don't know what's going on and then you know i'd hear it again and I'm like i still not don't really know what's going on I kind of meant I heard a few things the second time that i didn't hear the first time you know and then, yeah, and then I'd hear another, I'd hear the same tune, but with a different band. And I was like, oh, my God, it's totally different. And, you know, and then, of course, live. So, there's, you know, the, the improvisation aspect. Um, sure. But then, you know, of course, like 15 years later, I was just like, every jazz tune has the same form, you know? And I was like, I don't, you know, so then that was, that was dismissed. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, right. For the same kind of reasons. But at first, I was just like, you know, the mystery of it. It's a a mystery, you know, that really, I like mysterious things. I like when I don't know what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. when I'm listening to something and I'm like, I don't really know what that is. I don't know what instrument it is or I don't know, what is that, you know? And and I don't try to, usually I don't try to be like too theoretical and figure it out at that moment. Like, I've been to concerts, like Steve Coleman concerts where everyone's like getting out their you know fingers and okay this is in seven and you know trying to figure out sure yeah so i don't usually do that but but i just like to be in that state of like i don't know what this is you know sure uh that's 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 kind of maybe the driving force behind the music that i'm writing is i kind of want people to also be like hmm i don't know not sure like you know it could be i don't know what style this is or I don't know how this was put together or like with the Calati Quintet, I think what we get into a lot is like, I don't know what instrument that is. Is that a, that sounds like a, what is that? Is that a reed instrument? Is it, oh, it's clarinet and accordion. So it sounds like two clarinets or it sounds like, you know, like,
1: sure. Mm-hmm. what is
2: that when you put those instruments together, you get like a hyper instrument, you know, what, what is that? So yeah, I think that's a, that's a big thing behind it is I, I, I like that not knowing what sure. it is.
0: Do you try to surprise yourself? Do you try to go into writing music and try to come up with something? I mean, just to just to come up with something you wouldn't have necessarily that you I mean, certainly that you've never heard, but as you're going about trying to create a new piece of music, are there ways that you that you try to see it from the listeners, let's say, standpoint and try to like freak yourself out a little bit?
2: Um, hmm. I think once I get into it. The the piece is about the piece, so I I I'm not putting any extraneous uh, challenges on it. Let's say, sure. You know, it's like I might have had those going in, but once I I get into a piece, I make the piece about the piece. Okay. And and so I let the piece tell me what it wants to be, and so sometimes a piece doesn't want to be. A surprise or, or, or doesn't want to surprise me you know mm-hmm. it wants to be just this thing you know Um so yeah I'm not sure if I think of it like that I don't think it's, it's not as much about like surprising Um because <clears throat> something that I've thought about a lot with some different pieces is like when someone listens to something for the first time and then the second time and then the third time and then the fourth you know so obviously there could be surprise factors the first time but then with most listeners the second time those surprise factors are are now gone sure right you can't rely on that yeah, yeah. so so that's not something i would think about too much because um, you're you're only um, doing that for the first li- the the first listen
1: mm-hmm. it's only right.
2: some stuff like that's only good for the first listen and uh I would say, you know, a goal of most composers is they want people to listen to their music more than once. Sure. So, right. it could be a surprise the first time. Oh, wow, what was that? You, know, I, I do that. I have an old piece, really old piece called No D and it has a, I would call it a surprise ending and every time we play it, people are like, whoa, how'd they do that? How did they end there? You know, it's not a surprise at all. It's like totally obvious to the musicians mm-hmm. but, but we don't, you know, we don't put a visual cue on it. And it's it's a little abstracted. So if you've never heard the piece before, you wouldn't know the piece well enough to know that, you know, we could figure out, we, we know where we're going to end. Sure. Um, you know, so that's great for, the, for a live gig, you know. Um, but hopefully there was also enough in that piece that then people will say, oh, maybe I'll buy that CD or maybe I'll listen to that again. And then they'll remember, oh, yeah, I remember that thing at the end. Still might be a, a, a little bit of a surprise where it ends, although they know it's going to end, you know. They know it's going to have a, a quick, like, ending.
0: Sure. So, so let's say you have a poem or a book or an, an image or an idea, and you say, all right, let's try to write a piece on this. Are you then thinking... Let me try to pull the emotion from this. Or what is the response that I have to this? How how do you begin then turning that into a piece of music?
2: Right. So that would also be different for each piece and each poem. So, and and that would also be something that I, you know, I get, I kind of gather together lists of, of processes. And so I, I would um, not repeat myself, um, you know, I might repeat myself like, ten years later or five years later, but not tomorrow. Um, and, and so that part of that would be about how to, u- let's say, let's say a poem, how to use that poem. And um, so some some poems you just want to like set. you know, it's, it's a poem. you want you want you want you know, you want to set that poem, uh, one of the last poems I did, I think I just wanted to set it because I want everybody to hear this poem. I love this poem, and so it's just about you. Know, you get into um, you know trying to make sure that that the emotion of the poem is there, and 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 the lyrics, and you might use text painting and things like that. So that's you know that's that's definitely uh, something I've done, and and that I would do. Um, on the other extreme uh i have a um i did a piece with a poem i mean now this is this is a this is a a uh, experimental poem so um the poem is um japan it's a japanese poem it's a japanese poet who, who all his poetry is just using the japanese uh, numbers 1 and 2 and okay. It's amazing. It looks amazing, and when he recites it, it's like beautiful rhythms. Hmm. <clears throat> so, so now there. I mean, there's not maybe a lot you could say like not a lot of text painting uh, possibilities or, or, uh, or uh, setting. Uh, you know the lyrics. So there, I just was using the structure of the poem. So you know, I took his structure and used that to create it It gave me it gave me the whole piece you know mm. I had to I had to find basically i had to I had to do some assigning of pitches and' as obviously obviously assigning of instruments, but it gave me basically the piece is just there, you know already I just had to like kind of pull it out mm. so that's like totally different use of poetry um so everything in between, you know, but so sometimes using just the rhythms, sometimes trying to get get pitches out of the poems sometimes maybe just using the letters of the words of the poems and or the um the syllables you know there's a lot of musicians have done that type of thing like using just the the syllable um i forgot what you call that but the syllable rhythm Mm -hmm. you know the rhythms that you get the number of rhythms and all that you know i think i did a shakespeare piece and and you definitely, you know, came up with the phrasing from the actual, you know, um, sonnet.
0: Mm-hmm, sure. But it sounds like you're you're changing your process for every, every, pro- every piece. Exactly, exactly. That's kind of amazing. Every
2: piece has a different process, yeah. So, you know, I keep really lists of, like, how to begin a piece, and so these are just fictitious pieces that haven't happened yet, but maybe someday might happen, you know. So all the ways you can start a piece all the things that you can use to start a piece. Then those things that you, that you start a piece with, all the ways to develop those things, um, different ways to use a form. And and so kind of doing all that pre-composition work uh, helps when you're in the moment, you're not so like, oh no, what do I do? You're like, oh, well, you know, I've thought about this, I've thought about this, I've done this. It gets a little harder. The more you write if you don't want to repeat yourself because it's like, oh well, oh that's a great idea. No, I did that. Oh, no, I did that. You know, it takes a little longer to come up with the new the new thing. Whereas like when you're younger, it's like every time you write a piece, like, Oh, I've never done this. I've never done this. I've never done this. You know, after ten or fifteen years, that gets a little that part gets a little bit harder. Sure. Um, So yeah, creating these lists has helped to, you know, kind of in the in moments when i'm not writing a piece to think about it Uh, yeah
0: so is it something like as you're listening to music or as you're just you you'll start to think about oh here's a possibility and just just conceptualize that what is you know here's a beginning to a piece that i could use here's a way i could develop it whatever and literally write it down and have it around
2: yeah yeah a lot it doesn't i would say most of the time it doesn't come from listening to music but 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 it has on occasion, and I would say it would it would come um, from, uh, you know, like like hearing something and and thinking, oh, I could do that, but over here, like, and this, right now I'm listening to it here, you know. So, like the example I use with students, I think is um like uh, how many times have you heard an orchestral piece? That starts out with eight bars of drums. <laughs> I let's say it's rare. Anyway, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. Sure, right. And now let's say eight bars of improv drums on drum set. Okay, now we're getting like even much rarer. You know. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's like something in one area that's pretty common. You know, go to go to a jam session, you'll hear drums play eight bars out front sometime that night, probably. You know, so Mm -hmm. but then you take that thing and you put it in another world, and it's totally all of a sudden. It's like, wow, that would sound really cool, and it could, you know, it can lead to it could lead to oh, well, I'm actually gonna have somebody improvise, you know. But then that can lead to practical concerns like, does anybody, is there a drum set player in the orchestra? Oh, there's not. Okay, all right. Well, or is there someone that can improvise? Oh, no, there's not. Okay, so then you know it means like okay, now I'm gonna write. a percussion intro that sounds like a live improvised drum set solo you know so and that so that sounds that that could be amazing sure right
1: it's
0: but so
2: it's just... pretty normal in in one place and then another place it's like
0: whoa yeah right yeah hmm, interesting and uh do you um so, what do you have as a routine do you do you wake up and every day you have a certain amount of time that you write, or how do you then go about creating new music just from from the ideas i I wish
2: I could do that um I don't have you know I've never really figured out the um the lifestyle choices to make that happen sure um what I um, what I just did when, like when I was in New Mexico, but what 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 I and I haven't done that in a while. But I, there was about ten years where I did this every year, where I would go to a um, like an artist retreat for about a month, and just write, like not play drums or anything, just just write, mm. and and there of course you know that's that's uh, when I'm waking up in the morning and, and writing. Um, and, uh, and what that, and of course the rest of the year was not like that at all because I'm playing and I'm teaching and traveling. And so the, that period would just feed the rest of the year. Like Mm. I think I would start things and finish them later, um, and gather together lots of things, you know, that I didn't necessarily finish. Mm -hmm. um sometimes I actually would like finish it but I'm like I don't know what this is or what it's for and then you know like six months later I'm like hey remember that thing you know like that could go with this thing that somebody just asked me to do that I don't have time to do (laughs) right now (laughs) but hey I already started it so you know that kind of thing so that's 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 still kind of where I am um but I would say the other thing is it's just um you know, very, very intense periods of writing.
0: Okay. And so you, like set, we'll you set that aside for yourself. You say, this month, I'm going to prepare to do this, and then I'm going to dive in and get in the zone and get wild. I,
2: I wish it, yeah, it's never, it's not even that good. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, if I think, of, like, if I think about the last record, the song, um, songs you like a lot, um, you know, I was just any time I had like a few minutes, I was thinking about it, right mm-hmm. for for a long time, well, like six months, let's say, and then, you know, I remember talking to Alan Ferber like about like a couple weeks, like maybe say, I was going to Europe, the the we recorded it in Europe, and I went I went to Europe about two weeks ahead of time hmm. And then I, and I talked to I talked to Alan, maybe three or four weeks ahead of time. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing this record. Um, you know, I haven't really started writing the music. I'm just I'm just I just started writing the music, you know. And he was like, oh, that's so awesome. And I was like, no, that's not <laughs> awesome. This, this is not an awesome feeling. This is not a good feeling. It's not where I, it's not, it's not a good feeling, but you know, on the plane, on the trains, I mean, it got really intense The a little week before I was teaching. So I'd be teaching like, you know, let's say nine to four and then just back to the hotel room, you know, until eight the next morning, you know, and, and that, you know, sure. um, that's not my idea
0: of fun, but, um but well, you got you know, it done. I mean, I it seems it. to work. Yeah, but, well, so, I did, yeah. So the deadlines, <laughs> I guess, are are sort of your friend in that respect.
2: Deadlines are key. Deadlines are very important. Yeah, without deadlines, I don't think I could get anything done.
0: Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that, definitely. Yeah. That is an amazing tale because that music is is uh, elaborate. I mean, it's not something you just throw together. I mean, it's very dense. And I was, I was listening to... Uh, um, I was listening to songs you like a lot and I was like this is an amazing record and there's a lot of stuff on here and then I discovered that there's two other albums of the same uh, not the same material obviously but like of a similar uh let's say conception. Uh and were all three of those recorded at the same time at the same time? Or oh no record... no
2: Th- this project started like 10 years ago.
0: Oh wow. Yeah, okay.
2: So songs songs uh I like a lot was I- I'm going to say, you know, 2000 I'm not sure ten, 10, or 11 or 12 or 13 okay. or something like that around there. Sure. And, um, I don't, there wasn't really like a plan, but then, you know, we, it went pretty well. Um, and so there was like, Hey, maybe we should do another one, you know? So then, then, then at some point I realized that it was, um, that I had, I had gravitated towards songs that I liked,
1: Mm-hmm.
2: um, and so then I was like, oh, well, for the next one, you know, I did it with Kate McGarry and Theo Blackman. I was like, you you should pick some songs. And then I have talk, even talked to some people in the band, the Frankfurt Radio Big Band. You know, maybe you, you can think of any songs you might, you know, want me to do. And so then that was the songs uh, we like a lot. And then after I did that... Um, What I realized, because, you know, I didn't pick those songs, or at least some of them. And so I might not even have liked them, some of them. Okay. And so um, that was a a, kind of a, you know, a really beautiful moment where I was like, oh, I I don't have to like it to, to write a successful arrangement. So then I was like, oh, well, so for the next one, what we should do is we should just have Other people just decide what what songs to uh, arrange. Hmm. So we put something on Facebook like a long way ahead of time, and then people just some people wrote like one person I think put fifty songs. Like some people put a lot of songs, some people put one or two, and then we had like a vote, and uh, there was about I think we got I think we brought it down to twenty, and after twenty I still didn't I still gave it to Theo and Kate because they have to sing it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so out of these 20, and some of them, they were just like, no, definitely not. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. So then, yeah, it was really just down to time. I think I had it maybe, I forgot how many re- are on the record, but I think I had about maybe 10 or 11 or 12 um, that I was working on, and then just a few didn't didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's how that evolved from songs that I... I I figured I have to like this song to be able to arrange it and enjoy the arranging process and and all that to by the end songs it didn't matter what I thought about them I just you know considered them material that in itself is not good or bad it's just stuff and uh, so I would just try to find you know what's where, where can I, you know, where, I'm still obviously gravitating towards what can I find in this piece that I like? Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: What is it, now I guess if there's, if it's sort of a um, choice by committee, this may be a, a uh, there may be many facets to this, but as you go through these songs, what is it about a song, about a, let's say a popular song in one of these veins that you say, this is going to work, this is something I can really work with? Well,
2: in, in in this case, I didn't do that. I just I just here's the pieces, and then I just tried to tried to do it, and then uh, some of them, I um, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the pieces. I I basically just try to put aside my personal feelings for the music and try to just okay, where what can I do with this material? So. I'm looking at the melody, mostly the melody, Mm -hmm. the melody and the words. Cause those I'm almost, I'm almost always going to use maybe possibly not the words, but the melody is really what I'm, you know, really definitely going to use. Um, so then you know, I'm just trying to say like, what, what is that? If you take away everything else, what is that? And then, you know, um, almost like if you, um, you know, like those uh there's like those you know those like animated um cartoons where let's say Bugs Bunny's there and then they erase everybody around Bugs Bunny. Yeah. It's kinda like that. So you erase everything around the melody and then you just have the melody. And then you can build now something totally new and different around it. Sure. In a way, it's like it's like I'm rewriting the piece like as if I was the writer of the piece and I didn't like it and I wanted to rewind okay I don't like any of this so let me just go back to the melody and now let me do this again and I and you know kind of treat it like that which I think I could do better than not better I can do more. it's easier for me to do that because it's not my piece so I'm not attached to it at all Mm -hmm. like you know If if yeah, I think it's hard. It's pretty hard to do a lot of times with your own music because you become attached to certain parts. But you know that's the good part about this. I'm not attached to it at all, so I can get rid of things and change things. And you know, in the end, I'm just trying to kind of bring out a different, um, uh, a different part of the piece. A different, you know way to look at or listen to the piece so that if you if you like the piece you might even be like oh wow i never thought it could sound like that that you know makes me appreciate the piece even more and now i can also go back and listen to the original and then like you know and then if you don't know the piece it can be like whoa what was that oh i gotta check that out that's pretty interesting and then when you go to listen to the original you're like whoa wait a minute what happened how did that i don't you know how did that work you know yeah. So it could be, hopefully, it kind of brings together, like, the interest, interesting relationships we have with, with those pieces.
0: Yeah. Now, as you're trying to reconstruct these pieces, are you thinking, let me try to make a statement about the original piece, or there's a mood that I want to create around this, or is it just, here's the raw materials, here's the stuff that I have to work with as a sort of, as a, you know, constructor of this world?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm thinking of the, what is the, you know, what is the meaning of this piece? And then, but perhaps, so for instance, um, you know, uh, in the piece, uh, in the Bee Gees piece, how deep is your love? Mm-hmm. You know, my when ones. they think, you know, how deep is your love? They you, usually, they go, how deep is your love? Is your love? How deep, how deep is your love is, is like, almost like a, you know, it's a, it's, it's not a big line. You, you know and so i took that line and that made that my mantra for the piece pieces that's a serious question i'm asking you now how deep is your love no how deep is your love you know you just, if you sure keep asking that question it's like geez um so you know that's kind of where i took that is like okay what if what if that you know line what if you really ask that in a real different way and like you know it really becomes very emotional so it's the same material i just kind of emphasized a different part and 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 hopefully give it a, a very different emotional um feeling uh but but i'm not changing you know the melody or the words um i'm just kind of you know Bring, putting it in a different room or different you know environment
0: sure yeah uh, I think too of uh, knows only God you're in the beginning of the piece taking the the lyrics and moving them all around in different ways and like creating these patterns with the with the lyrics it certainly makes you think of it almost a completely different way and I found my, I found it fascinating listening to it because I felt like I had the original uh song on in, in like one ear in my head and then there's this other th- whole psychedelic thing happening almost it was like uh a, you know multi-layered experience it, it to have the such familiar material to work with really is from the listening standpoint is so interesting because it's music that we're familiar with and now all of a sudden we see it from such a different light
2: yeah yeah for sure yeah uh that piece definitely is a. Uh you know on on a on one end of the spectrum of what you would do with a with a piece and probably the first time that i ever arranged like literally arranged words like i never it's not something i i think i i i have one other attempt uh this andrew lloyd weber piece but i'm not it's never i never really finished it uh, but that's maybe where that idea came from about like what if you changed the order of the words um but you know basically it just came from um you know god only knows to knows only god i like just that like is a completely different uh phrase and once i did that then i was like oh well i could just change you know the order i have a have a whole sheet uh like one at least one piece of paper of just you know taking the um that one phrase of that piece and just changing the order. And I got so many different phrases that all kind of most of them actually even make sense. It's not like gibberish. It it kind of makes sense. But it's a totally different meaning. Mm. And um so yeah, that was that was kind of the the cool thing about that piece for me is like I was I was arranging words. And and that was the, you know, that was the first thing that I did. And that was the you know in 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 any kind of uh arranging or writing process there's parts that are you know really fun and exciting there's always a uh, painful and boring and you know terrifying parts too but that was the the uh, the really fun exciting part is like when i was just i was just uh, uh playing with the words hmm
0: it's it really speaks to your point about just you create these different processes for yourself and by nature, the song's going to come out different than, you know, than what the last piece that you did.
2: Hopefully. Yeah. 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 I I do know that it's possible that like you, you're like, Oh, I'm going to start like way over here. I'm going to do this totally different thing. And then you just go like,
1: "Mm -hmm,"
2: and then you like end up exactly where you always are. That Uh is possible. But, um, but I'm, I'm aware of that and I'm aware of like, you know, what i would if i just if the if i go with the first thing that comes into my head where that's gonna you know where i'm gonna end up um so i try to be you know uh, sensitive to like no i'm like way over here so i've got i'm not i'm not going over there i'm just gonna stay over here and like how do i stay over here it does take discipline and concentration to kind of you know stay out of your comfort zone
0: Mm. Sure.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: were there any tunes that you did that you really hated to start with, and then you ended up either liking or you were really happy with the way that the the piece came out?
2: <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think that's a no comment uh, question. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean that what that is. I can answer it by saying that 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 is the kind of the where I ended up in this project is maybe with pieces that I didn't like. Um, but of course the arrangement in the end, I, I want to, uh, it's natural that I, you know, want to like the arrangement that I made of the piece, you know? Sure. So, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely pieces in this trilogy that I don't like the originals, let's say, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but the the takeaway from the project is that that doesn't really matter. I can still like, you know create an interesting arrangement that I like of a piece that maybe I don't like.
0: Sure. I feel like that's that must be somewhat freeing in that if you can do, if you can create an arrangement that you like out of a piece that you don't you may not like, then you could do the same thing with your own pieces that you do like. I mean, to then take a piece of your own and try to, you know, you no longer have any limitations or worries about, you know, trying to create something from your own music.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, arranging and composing are kind of the same thing for me, but like I said before, the, the it is a little easier to arrange other people's work, especially a piece that you don't know. <clears throat> some of these pieces I didn't know, um, and, let's say, and or maybe even some pieces that I didn't like um versus if you write a piece it's pretty hard to not get attached to your own music and then what what makes it hard to work with is that attachment so i mean Mm -hmm. that's something that i that i i work on a lot i mean i remember even on one of these residencies i kind of wrote that like on the wall like don't get attached you know because then then you can't play with the material and, uh, you know, some a lot of times, like, uh, um, you know, composition lessons are really bizarre. And, um, and so sometimes a student will come in with a piece that they've written, and they'll be like, yeah, can you help me with this piece? Like, it's not, it's just not, it's not good. I'm like, sure. Okay, so maybe what you can do is take the B section. No, not the B section. I like the, uh, the B sections. I, I love that part. Okay, whatever. Well, then maybe you can take this other thing. No, no, that's my second favorite part. So we we realize that although they don't like the piece and they know it doesn't work, they're attached to it and they're, therefore they cannot change it. Hmm. Uh, so I'm very aware of that as a teacher and as a composer, that that can be... Um, very, that can really make things hard. If your if your material is starting to solidify as you're writing it, then you know it's like clay in a way, and then then it's like you can't play with it anymore. Mm. So I'm very aware of um, how things can solidify and how you can get attached. So repetition is one way. If you find something you like and you just play it over and over again, you know it starts getting. Like, oh, well, you, you, that's that. Now that has to be in the piece, like, just like that. I can't change it. Mm. So, I mean, I try not to do that. And also, labeling things. So, if you come up with something and you just say, oh, there's the bass line. So, right away, and okay, now it's just the bass line. It's going to be, could be good bass line, but it could have been an incredible melody or an incredible chord progression. Or incredible accompaniment, or something else, but now it's going to be a pretty good baseline. Mm. So just labeling things right away can also uh, solidify uh, the material. So I try to keep things open, try to keep them liquid when I'm working on them. They can this could maybe be this. This is maybe an intro, or maybe this, and you know, like put a put a maybe, at least a maybe, in front of everything. And also to could, to check it out to, to say okay here's my melody okay but is my melody possibly a, a bass line is my melody possibly a chord chord progression you know so at least at least check it out and yeah. a lot of times you can find you know more than one uh, use or or role for material so something can be a melody. And it can be a chord progression. Maybe it can even be a bass line. You know, sure. maybe it's yeah. maybe it's your form. And maybe it's a counterline. And you know, it could so the the whole idea of cellular composition is like you just have one thing and you just take that one thing and you make that one thing into
0: everything that you need for the piece. Sure. So can you explain can you explain just sort of elaborate on what you mean by cellular composition?
2: Um, well, okay, so let me just tell you where I, the, it's important to say where, where this came from for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So later on, of course, I know I found out that, uh, uh, people like Schoenberg and, and, and classical composers and composers going way back to when people first started being like composers started, uh, writing music based on, let's say, let's call it motivic development. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so for me, I went to the Banff jazz workshop, um, when I was in college and Muhal Richard Abrams was there mm. and he did this great lecture. He drew this dot on the board and for a long time it was extremely uncomfortable because he just asked people, what is that? And he went through like every person in the room had to answer what that was. So what he was getting to was that it was that it could, that could be anything. It could be a dot, it could be a circle, it could be a note head, you know, it could be a bunch of different things. So it, it in effect, it could be anything and it could be the beginning of your piece and that you could start a piece with anything. And as long as you have that one thing, once you take, have that one thing, then you can take that one thing and develop that one thing. So, you know, take it like, you know i use like a usually I hope this won't fall down but i usually use like you know this, this is the one thing then you do this to it and you do this to it and you you take it apart you know you you do these different processes which we have you know uh names for but the names aren't important
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and through that though you you create all this other material you're finding out what that thing is kind of like almost like experimenting on it and finding out what it is which can help you kind of decide what you're going to do with it but you're also getting all this new material which is actually the same material but just sounds different okay and so if you if you build this body of of material based on this one thing a family of material and it's it's then not so difficult to put that material together
0: because mm-hmm.
2: actually it's the same material. So it, it usually kind of goes together well. Sure. And then the idea, uh, if you try this, in my case, I tried it. I really enjoyed the process. But then also I really enjoyed the sound of, of, of what uh, of a organic what i would call organic sounding piece um in that there could be lots of different things happening in the piece but when the piece is over there's also this this feeling of a singular gesture you know Mm. i took this and took this and all this stuff and i put it right here and here it is for you 10 minutes later you know um so i really love that uh everything about that so I wouldn't say I write uh, in this cellular way 100% of the time. Because sometimes, obviously, like anyone else, I just sit down and a tune just pops out, of course, when yeah. I'm lucky that happens once in a while. But, but normally it doesn't happen. And um, and I really enjoy this process. So, um, well, first I'll just say the, the other person who really... Um, talked about this, was Bob Brookmeyer. Mm-hmm. In a slightly different way, what he was doing when I met him was he was, he was saying like, okay, you you just need like four pitches. If you, you just start with four pitches and then from there you should be able to write a whole piece. So it was kind of like the same thing. He was really kind of saying almost the same thing, but, you know, his his own way. Um, but the if you take that idea, you can also use that idea in arranging. So, I'd say, you know, a lot of times what I'm looking for when, I, when I'm dealing with a new piece, is I'm looking for the cell.
1: You know, what, okay.
2: what is the heart of this piece? What am I going to use the most? And most of the time, because in this, in this trilogy of projects, it was with vocalists. So in the idea was that, you know, people would be able to hear the, the original. <laughs> Sometimes, <Sure. laughs> maybe not, but <laughs> at least most of the time they could hear the original yeah and um so so, therefore, you know immediately I pretty quickly, I was like, you know, what are the things that they need, are gonna need? Well, they don't really need the original beat, they don't really need the original key, the original chords, they need the melody, they just they need the melody and 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 the words so so the those kind of automatically became the cells of the piece, and mm-hmm. a lot of the new material that I came up with was came from the melody,
1: mm.
2: from, from the processing and development of the melody into other things that are actually not different but sound
0: different, mm. but also work well with the original. Sure. That approach also sounds like a way of uh, avoiding maybe... Under certain circumstances, it wouldn't work if you've got the song and you've got the melody and you've got the lyrics and what have you. But like, if you're writing a piece, you don't have that that idea that you just came up with doesn't have to be the uh, the bass line or it doesn't have to be the melody or it doesn't have to be the harmony. Like uh, the idea of taking those ideas and just playing with it and just creating a ton of material. uh, I know that's another thing that Bob Brookmeyer would talk about. is just creating, just putting notes on a page and just creating music. Uh, but then if you're just thinking about the notes as themselves or the melodies as themselves, you don't then have to put it into a category as being, this is the harmony and this is the bass line and this is the melody. But we're so, st- I mean, it's so easy, especially I want to, s- it's true of any style of music. You come from a world where you're, you learn the tradition or you learn just the, uh, let's say tendencies of the music or the tendencies of the people who write it. And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to write a rock song. So it's going to be verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, 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 or whatever, you know, bridge, something. And then you get lost in these ways of writing. And certainly in jazz world, we could write 100 million A-A-B-A, 32-bar forms. But it's a fascinating thing really to think about, all right, I'm not going to label this a bass line or a melody. I'm just going to use this material and see what happens to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does seem like a really freeing approach to writing. And it it seems to me to shed a lot of light on what, what you're doing or how these pieces come about.
2: Yeah, that is that's the that's the key for me is to you know to try to find a cell, develop it, uh, and 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 play with it as long as I can. That's also gets back to the deadline. You play with it as long as you possibly can until you have to make a decision. Or also like in the playing aspect, a lot of times things come like oh, I I can already hear that that would be good that way. I don't say like. I'm definitely going to do that but you know I make a note of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then you know kind of letting it come together this is something I think you know you'll hear Maria Schneider talk about too, you know, about not right not not uh, one reason why people don't use computers, you know, is that so you don't have to think about a meter or a key or uh even a tempo or an instrument. Certain mm-hmm. you know when you put stuff in the computer automatically you you just have to make some choices that might not be good choices but you have to make a choice you know Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of you know nice to keep things in this you know what i call in the worksheet phase so like i just have big pieces of paper and i'm just it's just a worksheet it's a play sheet playing with the material on paper and then you know circling things and 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 trying to be uh, sensitive to if the piece is telling me what it wants to be sure. as opposed to me, like imposing what I want the piece to be. Yeah. It sounds
1: a little bit, uh,
2: esoteric, I think, but, but that's no, how I'm on board. Yeah. That's you. how it feels anyway.
0: For sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, let's go back in time a little bit. I want to get a little sense of your history in this. Uh, what brought you into music in the first place? And then did you start, I imagine you started playing drums first and then got into composition. Uh what what brought you into composition?
2: Okay. Well my brother Pat is a great uh, musician, also a drummer, composer. So he definitely one hundred percent got me into this. Um and and was my mentor, um, telling me who what to do, who to who to study with, all that all that. So I I was um had to take piano lessons for a year uh and then i guess if i stuck with that i could start drum lessons Mm. um the other thing though that he told me was i had to be a composer so it's part of the deal Mm. um so before i knew how to compose i was already thinking about composing um Yeah. So that, that, that was that, you know, I, I, I didn't really do any like actual really what I would call composing until maybe high school when I, again, was still trying (laughs) to do some composition. Um, But yeah. And also the other thing that him and my first teacher, it was all about like, you have to do everything. You know, I played the circus, Oktoberfest, you know, polkas, what everything, a- everything, don't nothing. I would say no to nothing. So orchestral music, jazz, pop, you know, everything.
1: Mm.
2: Xylophone, timpani, tambourine, set, <laughs> You know, like have you have to do everything, which in in a way was good. I I see people who were better. A lot better players than me because they just kind of did one thing but uh i you know i think that that variety of experience was good to kind of figure out okay well out of all these things like which of these do i really want to do so it, at one one point it was obvious i wanted to do more drum set more jazz type of stuff even though i did study orchestral music um it became more apparent that you know jazz was my Love
0: sure, but all that other all that other music you were playing and even playing different instruments and what have you had to have had a substantial impact on the way that you even viewed the drum set itself.
2: For sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, one, one, also my dad was an antique dealer, so one thing was that I I had, I had a collection of things and instru- instruments. Yeah, all kinds of instruments, old instruments, and. A bunch of them I used, but a bunch of them I didn't really was like, I'm not sure how I could use this. Like, you know, I could use this. I could use a cowbell, of course, once in a while. But like, you know, I have now six cowbells. So what do I do with six cowbells? You know, so a lot of that stuff didn't come together until I was like, you know, maybe 28 or 29. I started doing these gigs in the East Village where I all of a sudden I started putting things on the drum set. Mm-hmm. So more of like a prepared idea, um, and that's kind of where where all that came together. Where it's like all the the little xylophones and all all, the, all this little stuff that I had that I could use as a percussionist, you know. Mm-hmm. I found a way to use them on the drum set with the drum set. Mm.
1: So
0: that
2: was kind of a bit of a breakthrough for drum for drum set anyway
0: for me. Sure. What was the scene like around Binghamton when you were growing up? Did you end up coming into the city often to see music or hear music?
2: No, no. I mean, we're like three and a half hours away, and like you know, we get the we were getting the New York news, New York City news. Very scary place, New York. Murders every day. So you know, no, I wasn't. I personally wasn't really allowed to go to New York. I maybe was there maybe three or four times. uh, You know, in high school Mm. for mostly for Mets games, I think.
1: Sure.
2: <laughs> and uh, Broadway shows. uh uh-huh. um, So, but we actually had a really good scene here. Um, so there were people like my brother who had, who had been here. Um, Slam Stewart uh, lived in my neighborhood. And, okay. and uh, through this, uh, this guy named Al Ham, who taught at uh, Binghamton University, he brought a lot of people to Binghamton so like you know i didn't go to new york but i saw elvin i saw jack dejeanette uh you know mel lewis brookmeyer um james blood elmer you know i saw Ahmad jamal art blakey betty carter you know i saw a lot of great stuff because it came through Binghamton And then I grew up with uh, Steve Davis, this great trombone player, mm-hmm. uh, Dina DeRose, um, who, who at the time was a pianist, now is also a vocalist, great vocalist, uh, Chris Jensen, tenor player, uh, Tom Dempsey, guitar player, uh, Tony Cadillac, who was a great trumpet player who actually still plays in my band. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to high school with all those people. Wow. So it was just kind of a good time sure (laughs) to come to be here so i had people we had a steady jazz gig every monday night there was there was a jazz club in town and we had a steady gig every monday that was big huge huge to have a steady jazz gig when you're in high school oh yeah good good players so uh that's luck that was just kind of luck
0: sure there's no way to no better way to learn it especially that age than just to play have the opportunity to go out and play all the time
2: totally Totally. Yeah. So when we were younger, we were jamming every weekend at each other's house. And then later on, that became a gig, a steady gig every week. And uh, yeah, learning new tunes and uh, just, just playing, knowing that you had to play, you know, every week.
0: Sure. So you graduated, went to Eastman. Yeah. And then from Eastman, you went to New York.
2: Well, I yeah, I, I uh, got a, I stayed for another another year. At Eastman got a master's. Then okay. I went. Then I um, I was just talking to uh, a uh, a student about about loans, <laughs> and um, I had ten thousand dollars of loans, which now doesn't seem like much, but at the time seemed like a lot. Sure. And um, my brother was involved in this too. He was um, doing a touring uh, version of West Side Story. At that time. And right before, like when I was still at school, a bunch of my buddies went, I got, I kind of, I think I got them a gig. And, uh, and so then when I left school, I did that for a year in Europe, um,
1: mm.
2: which was great. Cause it was the first time I got to go to Europe and we would often stay, we stayed in a lot of cities for, for like a month, like mm. a month in uh, you know, major cities So that was great to see Europe and also West side story is a really beautiful piece of music. So playing that was great. Um, and it also paid off my loans so that, that, so that that way I could make my way to New York. I went to Brazil after that, um, for a little while, but, um, then, uh, then, then New York was, was the, uh, was the final destination. Yeah. That's, that's where I was going. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to go there with tons of debt. Right.
0: That's so, wise. Yeah. That's a yeah. wise choice. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did you meet Bob Brookmeyer?
2: Uh, well, I first met him in Binghamton when I was like 13. I mean, he he didn't remember, but they were here. Uh, the band was here. I have, I have some bootlegs. Of that band it was a great band with like the sextet with Joe Lovano, Dick Oates, um, Jim McNeely. Uh, it was a great group. It's a, there's a, there's a great record called, uh, what's the name of the record glass uh i always forget the name of the record it's like really beautiful record um sextet record i think tom harrell's on the record Hmm. um but anyway i've met him so at that time then he came to eastman when i was there he doesn't remember he didn't remember that either but um then i at that time i don't know if NEA grant study grants. I don't think they exist anymore. But at that time, you could get a, a little NEA study grant. So I applied for NEA study grant to study with him. Around that time, he was starting a um, a school. No, this is the first thing that happened. He was going to start a school in Holland. He was living in Holland.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was. It was called the World School of Jazz. It was almost like a like a Banff type thing where they would have certain people for a few weeks and then other people would come in and it was just going to be this rotating faculty. The faculty looked amazing. So I did apply and I was accepted and then all the funding for the school just evaporated. And soon after that, he came back to the U.S. because he was living in Holland. And so then I applied for a study grant to study with him. And around that time, he said there was this band, he was kind of getting sick of playing with like old guys who wouldn't listen to him (laughs) those are his words not mine sure um and uh so he had this possibility of starting this band through the schleswig holstein music festival in in northern germany uh and he could kind of pick the band it was it was um yeah it wasn't professional really band at first it was just like a, a workshop summer band basically And so, uh, yeah, he asked me if I wanted to do that. And uh, all the rest of the players were uh, almost all Germans. Mm. And that became the new art orchestra. Sure. Very, Mm -hmm. very, pretty quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if it, I don't know in the first year, I'm not sure, but pretty quickly it kind of, you know, uh, we would even like, we were officially the Schleswig Holstein Jazz Orchestra. And then like we would, and we would do that and rehearse and do a gig. And then when the festival was over, we, we would get on a bus and then just go somewhere else. And we became, and we were the new art orchestra, like, Mm. you know, so it just happened, um, which was amazing, you know, to play that music and to get, get to know Bob. So I had been, so I studied with him a little bit. I think I took four or five lessons, but that was a lot for me. Sure. And, um. And I think I learned just as much just from being in the band. Um, he was so supportive, a real mentor, you know really showed his 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 love and just you know would he was so nice, so nice to me um, hmm. so encouraging
0: yeah, that's amazing a lot I feel like uh it must have been. I mean, you were—you must have been in the deep end there. But to to be able to take the lessons with him and get a sense for his approach or some of his compositional techniques, and then be in the band and hear them night after night must have been—I mean, you, that's a that's a kind of an education, you know, doesn't come along that often.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, but it's funny because you know the the teaching thing that he—that was like a different phase in his life, and he was in a different phase musically. So like, especially at first, we weren't playing any new music, and so it was there was there was like virtually no connection between the music you heard Bob Brookmeyer's music and then what he was talking about in lessons mm. which was like serial music sure <laughs> you know um but but we did actually play uh what's his he has this piece called serious music it's a mm-hmm. i think it's a piano concerto incredible piece um and the uh, celebration suite so there were there were Little at first, he didn't even want to play his music that much. We played Jim McNeely's music, and maybe Bill Holman, and some of Meyer's music. He didn't even. But then, as the as the band, you know, became a band, he stu- he, you know, would find ways to write for for the band. Um mm-hmm. But even then, I would say, yeah, the the the. I mean it makes sense in a way it's like he's not like teaching what he's writing at that moment cuz he doesn't really know maybe it's not codified enough to be able to teach it so this things that he were teaching he he was teaching was kind of this whole kind of body of 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 teaching um philosophies and practices that I think he put together when he came back from California and he started teaching at the BMI workshop and in, in different places like that and uh that like he kind of started coming up with things that he could give students that would help them. And that's kind of what he taught. So it was a, wasn't a was always, um, some of it wasn't like, it didn't seem to relate to what he was doing. There was a few things like the, his white note exercise. Sure. Um, which, you know, I would say his white note exercise in the period that I be, came to play with him, that little exercise kind of almost became his, you know, guiding force.
1: Hmm.
2: He used that probably uh, more than anything else because he was kind of not in the, uh, he was kind of out of this, uh, let's call it a serial chromatic phase. That was, mm-hmm. that was 10 years before that. So um, he was really like, um, trying to revolutionize in uh, formally, and so the music when you first heard it, you'd be like, okay, it sounds like a minor. You know, like if you were listening to it in a certain way, and you hadn't, you know, drank the Kool Aid on it yet, it would just be like, well, it's it's just some modal stuff, yeah, whatever. But when when you really got into it, and you saw what he was trying to do with the forms and all that. You realize that, you know, where he was trying to, uh, like, he was picking, like, a certain place to kind of revolutionize.
1: Mm.
0: Are there things that you think about now that were part of that philosophy or his approach, uh, whether it be, I guess, composition or bandleading, that still you think about today and still is a deep part of the way that you operate?
2: Well, the cel- I mean, the cellular thing, like I was saying before, mm-hmm. that's, that's huge. Um, sure. Um, you know the cor- this chorale exercise that he gave me when when you were asking me like when I wake up what I would do if I do wake up in a place where I'm going to compose, the first thing I would do was this chorale exercise that he gave me. You know, so that and I teach that to all my students, and so you know, I I I find myself invoking the voice of Bob like so much that you know. I might have forgotten where, what's me and what's Bob. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did in the last couple of months actually finally uh, read uh, Dave Ravello's book. Uh-huh. And it was just like, I was like, it, I it was like an audio book. Like I was just hearing, <laughs> I was just hearing Bob's voice. It was just, oh yeah, I remember what Bob's, yep, yep, there, Bob said that. And, you know, a lot of the stuff was very still right there in my, you know, it's, 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 it's really in there. Sure. Um, So for sure when I, I know it's in there when I'm writing, but for sure when I'm, when I'm teaching, um, you know, I just, I find myself talking, like when I, I teach a course at McGill and uh, the first day, the first uh, class is uh, my favorite piece, which is KP 94. And so I just have to play that piece first (laughs) before we, Do anything else, just yeah. so you know. Like, this is my favorite piece, and and then later on, we actually like we actually look at King Porter, and then we go back and we do kind of look at it again later in the course. Because at first, everyone's just like, "Yeah, that's a cool piece," but I don't know what that has to do with it's, like what we're supposed to be doing. But sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to let everyone know. Um, I would say he's still um um hasn't gotten the uh, uh I don't know the the praise the the um the rewards he didn't really get the rewards that he that he deserved when he was alive sure. um and uh but I mean, if you try to envision big band music today without Bob Brookmeyer, I I can't do it. I sure. I, I don't know. I find it, it's very hard for me to think of anyone who's writing big band music who wasn't hasn't been uh, immensely influenced by Bob Brookmeyer.
0: Sure, that's amazing, isn't it? I, I've had the the uh, the opportunity to be in the BMI Composers Workshop for the last two years, and that was sort of my reintroduction, I knew, I knew Meyer's music well with his, you know, the quintet with um, uh, Clark Terry and a lot of his music, you know, that kind of, the, his, his playing as a trombone player, but, uh, and I'd, I, incredible, yeah, and I've heard his, you know, I'd heard his music quite a bit, but to go back and dive back into it, and then to, the opportunity to talk to a lot of people who've been influenced by him, it's really amazing that the, the influence that he's had over, you know, so many people, and how it still sticks with, you know, everybody, and it's, reverberates through the whole community
2: totally totally yeah when i first moved to new york it
0: was i was meeting like
2: all these people that had taken the bmi thing with him you know And it was yeah it was it was intense it was intense the 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 influence that he had uh just from that even just from that one thing but then if you go to europe he did the same thing in cologne he did the same thing in uh copenhagen so in europe there's there's also like you know tons of musicians that were really influenced by by his uh music teaching and I mean I always still go back to the sound
1: mm-hmm. his
2: sound sound that he got is unbelievable
1: mm.
0: and just it's like wow incredible yeah let me ask you this one now you're no uh stranger to unique instrumentations but And you have the opportunity to use anything, you know, any combination of instruments that you want, as did, you know, as did Brookmeyer and as do so many people who are writing in sort of the contemporary jazz world. But that foundation of the big band still persists. It's still like the, the palette, you know, you can switch out woodwind instruments and you can add, you know, I know Brookmeyer would add synthesizer and you can have vibraphone, you can switch things out. But... It's still this format still persists as sort of a primary medium. What is it about that instrumentation that makes it so malleable from, you know, whether you're dealing with Basie or whether you're dealing with Maria Schneider or whether you're dealing with whatever's going on? Well,
2: I think it's because, you know, in the, I don't know when exactly, I think this happened maybe in the 70s, but when when they started taking that format and making that ensemble the backbone of every jazz program, which mm. jazz programs were being built around that time, starting in the seventies. Um, so there's kind of two, well, that, that was the first one. And I still, that's still the biggest one. There's another one that you might see more in like a kind of an NEC type thing where it's more about maybe um, small groups, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and now most schools do both. Sure. But once um, once that happened, you know, and weirdly enough, it happened at the time when there's actually no big band work for people. If they get out of school, they actually can't really be in a big band like they could, you know, up until the 80s at some point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, so then what you get, you get this situation where you can go to any city in the world and find a big band. Mm. So it's just, it's just like that structure is there, you know, as far as like all the rest of it, I try to let all the rest of it, you know, go, the conventions of it. But um, I did kind of make a decision at some point, like, oh, okay, well, you know, if I want anyone else to play my music, and if I want to play my music, you know, because I can't bring my band around the world, so how do I do this? and well if i have if I just use kind of the same instrumentation as what most people have available, then that will make that possible i'm not i'm I'm very far away from being in love with the the uh, instrumentation of a big band but that that that
0: that uh type of ensemble exists everywhere hmm. interesting. Sure. So it's a it's sort of in many ways a practical issue, but it gives you that uh, foundation to work with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like Meyer and many others, what I've tried to do is just kind of personalize it a little bit. So, you know, in my own band, like my secret weapon would be Theo Blackman, but I also use like percuss mallet percussion. Mm-hmm. And I use guitar. Um yeah, Woodwinds is something people can do or not do or whatever you know, but so at least kind of the the sound of my band I, I feel like is is a, is going to be slightly different than than most other bands uh, because of even just having just Theo and like mallets and and no guitar, um, just in the in the like basic sound,
1: mm-hmm. um, sure.
2: and that helps me a lot having Theo around helps me a lot it helps me remember that oh, this is not a big band
1: mm,
0: okay you know? interesting because just he can his, do anything yeah okay and you will write him in, oh, i don't know if exactly what the process is exactly but he can then he's very malleable in the sense that he can be an instrument or he can be the lyrics yeah. or he, he can be he, anything can anything. he can
2: do anything he can do anything can play inside he can play outside he can play sounds he can use electronics he can play with the instruments he can sing lyrics any style yeah that's amazing when when did you start working with him
0: when how long has he been in the group oh
2: he's well let's see was he i guess he wasn't in the group maybe in the very very beginning but um pretty soon after that um i let's see whoops Uh uh-oh All right, still there? Yep. Okay, I uh, got some sort of weird message on my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, I'm not sure of the year, but I um, was in, living in Brooklyn with Ben Monder for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And Ben had a duo with Theo. And I had seen Theo play recently, not, you know, around that time, I saw him play with uh, Mark Dresser's group. And that was the first time I saw Theo but also just the first time I saw like a male vocalist uh play you know jazz sing jazz and but also it wasn't jazz and it was I just it was I just never heard anything like that and they had a great duo um so I wrote them a piece called nobo that's like the title track of maybe their first record but one definitely one of the records and then. I invited Theo to do a free improv gig. And uh, and so that's that was the beginning. We did a lot of free improv gigs. We played. He got me in Meredith Monk's group, which was a big deal. Um, and I played in some of his groups, he played in my groups. Then, you know, I wrote I wrote um, I wrote a piece called A Blessing mm. for for Theo.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that so maybe Perhaps that was that the right beginning. There. There you go, that's my grandfather, yeah oh wow uh, maybe maybe that was the f- beginning. that piece might have been the beginning, the first uh piece that I wrote with the big band for him
0: sure, that's an amazing piece of music thanks uh let me ask you about uh the claudia quintet what was the what was the inspiration for that group? was it did you know the musicians and you said these would be fun people to play with, or was it did you have the vision in your mind of accordion and vibraphone and you know clarinet saxophone or whatever
2: well i was in new york and i was trying to get a find a group a group of my own i wanted a group i wanted to write for a group and so yeah i was jamming with people and trying to see if you might if this person might be into it and this person and you know so i was doing all that kind of thing and then um Yeah, I just, I stumbled onto this uh, gig through Ruben Ratting uh, to play with Ted Reichman in a trio in the East Village, uh, like a steady gig, and and so that was great. That lasted like a year, and during that time I definitely met Drew, and during that time I met Matt Moran, actually on this Brookmeyer gig in Schleswig-Holstein, he showed up that's how I met Matt Moran. Hmm. So I met my wife on the same day. So oh that, wow! <laughs> that was a big deal. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, um, And so then um, Matt Matt definitely um, um, told me about Crispy. Mm-hmm. And we we had actually a couple other people before Crispy, a couple other people before Drew. Um, but so it was it wasn't wasn't really the instruments. Um, although you know when I played with Ted and I and it was the first time I played the accordion, really, and also I mean it was accordion, but I mean it wasn't really like accordion sure. it wasn't it was, I was so in it was great. I was just like, this is like a mini organ. you can do so many things with this and then with the with Matt, it was like, well, I play vibes, but not like this guy. I mean this was like unreal what he was doing on the instrument. It felt like he was reimagining the vibes. And also, it was the first time I actually played with a vib- with a vibraphone player. So it was kind of like playing with another drummer. But playing with another drummer a lot of times is a drag because you have the same sound. And so it was like another drummer, but he has a totally different sound. Hmm. Um, so I really loved that. And then, you know, once I put the combination together, I was like, oh, this is cool. Because like the accordion and the vibes, as long as the tuning is cool, they kind of have a good connection. The accordion, the clarinet has a really nice connection because of the the reed instrument, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the clarinet, yeah, it was just it was like it was not luck, but you know, through working and looking and seeking and finding the right people who also happen to play these cool instruments that when you put them together, I had never heard before that combination,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, so it worked, you know. Mm. So. The, it was a combination of the the people, and uh, and the instrument.
0: Mm. And over the course of the time you've been playing, obviously you've you know the the sound and what you're writing has evolved in a certain way. But it's it seems listening to that first album like you kind of came out the shoot with a concept in mind. Like it's it seems fully formed. I don't know if you think about it that way because you're you know you've been involved with it for so long, but were you thinking of a particular stylistic approach or was it just let me write tunes. That's going to work for this instrumentation.
2: Well, I think what helped, uh, was the, the, the gig that I did with Ted in that year. So what happened was we did, yeah, we did that gig for almost a year and that was like in the, what was called like kind of the knitting factory scene. So Mm -hmm. I was playing with all these people who didn't go to music school. They didn't study jazz They were totally into improvising uh, and totally into just playing like music that was not like about a style. And, 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 and uh, then when that ended, there was this little period when I was kind of right before, right, 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 like right when I was really building, making the group um, where that steady gig was still happening. But um, the, that group, Ruben Ratting at that time had decided to leave town and, Quit base so he left and so the group was over and that's why i said ted i still want to play with ted and so i formed the group kind of because that other group you know died and um yes yeah, there were some times there were some really interesting moments where i was i would play with drew Gress in this little play little little uh, internet place uh on in the east village on monday night and then on the next monday night we, me and Drew would be subbing in the Village Vanguard band and just kind of looking at each other like, this is weird, you know, like, but the fact that we could do it, you know, we could be in those different, very different worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, the thing is, like, when I was growing up, like, playing drums in the Village Vanguard band, that was like, that was it. That was like, that was as high as I could see that's what that was where i that was it you know sure um unfortunately by the time i did it you know then it wasn't it anymore i was like so the the stuff that we were doing on the east village um actually was me that was Mm. where i was like there i am sure that's i found it um so uh i forgot what the question was but um what was
0: the question? How did you think about trying to form the style of the music? Oh was yeah, it something yeah, so, that you consciously approached, or was it
2: right so it, it became more about just you know playing with people that don't think about that kind sure. of thing and okay. and even though even though Matt and Chris went to music school they were they were like that, you know mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, it was really about creating music that's um combining all these great things that you like, grooves. And textures and composition and and free playing, uh, you know, sure. melody, you know, melodies and just all that stuff and um, and kind of letting, you know, swing and jazz, like le- letting them like kind of go. They're 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 in they're in it, mm-hmm. but they're just like a part of it, sure. Instead of being like
1: it,
0: yeah. So it was it was sort of an outlet. For- or let's say the output from all of the, in, the various input that you had playing in all these different kinds of organizations. Mm-hmm. And without mm-hmm. sort of, I don't know, uh, without any kind of preconception as to what it was going to be, it's just, let's just freely try to incorporate all of this music. Exactly. exactly. And I like that idea a lot. I like the idea of not having, uh, not putting limitations on yourself or not putting barriers on what it is that you're doing or trying to pigeonhole yourself into a style it's so easy to fall into the into the trap of being like, "Let me do this thing because this is what I learned, or this is my this is my history in the music, or this is what I'm trying to go for." And then, but all the people that we admire as musicians that we love were the people who came along and said, "Yeah, but I'm not going to do it that way, or I'm going to do my own thing." Like, you know, there's no point. I don't think that Miles Davis was like, "Let me do this exactly the same way that it was done." You know, that's the whole thing.
2: I mean, I think he thought about it. I mean, you know, there's this, these these quotes about him talking about how much he loved playing ballads. At exactly the time when he was not playing like any ballads, you know. Right. So, I mean, for him, it was a creative act to to keep going and looking for this, you know, what I would call the mysterious, the what 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 I, what now I would call jazz
1: mm-hmm. is
2: this kind of the next thing that you can't codify yet and doesn't have a name that that's what some people call jazz and that's why they do this stuff is they're looking for that next thing
1: mm, sure. and
2: um uh, so it goes back to what we were saying before you know like so what with, with, with the cloudy quintet you know i was able to create this music that was just mysterious that i was just like i don't know what this is you know
1: mm.
2: you know the one of the first uh um quotes from a reviewer was what the hell is this <laughs> And he was, I think, not exactly, like, super excited about it. He was kind of like, really, seriously, what is this? Like, But for me, that was like, yes, exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: Exactly. You know, um, obviously, it's not a great business decision because a lot of people do want to know what it is. And uh, record stores are kind of not what they used to be. But, you know, it, it, in a certain period of time, it was like, where do we put this record? You know, you got to say, you got to tell me, fine, you know, you do all this stuff, but you got to tell me what is it I, I need to know because like, I have to put it in a place. So um, it's uh, it's frustrating for some people, you know, because sure. they, they need to know, like, yeah, but tell me what it is because I need to kind of, I need to like kind of organize it.
1: <laughs> right. In, yeah, yeah, yeah
2: you know, in my mind or on my bookshelf or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that that mysterious thing is, is what some people would call jazz, the seeking of the mysterious. And, and that's, that's what connected me to jazz in the first place.
0: Hmm. It seems to be what continues to drive you forward. For sure. Totally. Uh, do you have any plans in the works what's the next what's the next thing for you do you have some some ideas floating around do you have a mission oh
2: well I'm doing we got a new Clay quintet record's been re- we remotely recorded it and it's being mixed right now and um uh there's some poetry being put on it soon and um I uh what am I- I'm writing a lot of I'm writing right now I'm actually I'm, I'm writing um some music for this uh, school in Australia, uh, Menashe University. I'm, I'm writing a uh, piece for 12 drum sets. Oh, which wow. Which is pretty cool because um, what I realized really quickly is that um, we're not going to play, and I and I'm playing in it, I'm one of the 12, is that <clears throat> it's going to be like kind of the opposite of what drummers usually do, which drummers usually like play a lot. Mm-hmm. but this is going to be mostly about resting mm. and and there's going to be a lot more rest in the piece than than actual notes mm.
1: so
0: it's got to be fascinating trying to come up with a you know trying to think in those terms like what am i going to do with all these drums yeah like, i think it's going to be
2: I've, I've got a concept i've got the concept and uh it's coming together and uh trying to use the uh remote recording
0: um situation to our advantage um Sure. So, yeah. How was it How was it recording the Claudia Quintet uh, remote? It was okay, actually. I think because we played so much together
2: um, that, yeah. I mean, the thing about the remote thing is like, it's a bit of a drag for the first person. And then sure. like, if you're the last person, it's like, whoa, that's just kind of like playing with the band.
0: <laughs> sure, right.
2: You know? So um of course the drums are usually first but I didn't I didn't uh yeah it was um I think it, I think it was okay I think I, you know we've been together for a long time
1: mm-hmm.
2: So I think in uh, we could use that you know so it's like even if like okay I, I can't really feel what this guy is doing But I can imagine what he would be doing if he's done it like, you know, we've played together so many times that you can kind of, you know, or at least I'm going to do what I usually do here. And then, you know, and if everyone does that, it will it will sound kind of almost the same. Mm -hmm. Even though we're not hearing the same thing, we can kind of
0: come at it with the same uh, philosophy. Sure. It's kind of amazing. I'm sure it's a huge advantage to have, you know, everybody having played together for a long time and to have such a consistent group as well, like being able to play with the same people. It's interesting how everybody's had to adapt to the new technology in our current day and age. And Yes.
2: Yes. I mean, I didn't even own any mics oh, wow. <laughs> a year ago. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
0: kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. And, I, and I was on. just thinking about the Zoom thing because, you know, while I'm doing the Zoom thing, I'm like, man... By the time the pandemic's over, I'm gonna be so good at Zoom. Like, I'm gonna get my lighting together. Everything's, you know, compared to how it was, you know, a year ago.
0: Oh, sure, it's much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And we all had to just figure it out. I'm sure you, you you teaching, you had to just figure it out on the fly.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I got, I got pretty good at it. What was funny is like, I got, I feel like I got pretty good at it. All these things about Zoom are kind of bizarre, but then, you know, you learn them, and then. uh, you know, I stopped teaching for a month or two and I was in New Mexico and I had to do this master class and I was just it was all the same kind of I had the same like zoom uh neurosis and just like, oh my god, how do <laughs> I do this? And uh you know. And I also had to do a thing for the uh Isjac and the International Society of Jazz Arrangers Composers. Mm-hmm. Um uh, kind of a masterclass-ish type thing, talk with Theo and Kate, Kate, but it wasn't on Zoom. It was on this other platform and a platform where you can't see the other people you're talking to. So that was really really hard.
0: (laughs) That's
2: tough, yeah. So yeah, so after doing that, I was like, I'm I'm much rather Zoom, you know, where you can see, at least see the people you're talking to.
0: Mm -hmm. No doubt. Uh, Let me ask you one more Claudia Quintet question. You've got an album called Royal Toast. Yep. And some of the tracks include Crane Merritt, Caramag, Armitage, Armitage, Shanks. Shanks, yeah. I'm Zern. reading that
2: piece right now,
0: yeah. Oh, cool. Ideal Standard and American Standard. Mm-hmm. Where do those you familiar come with from? those terms? <laughs> I thought maybe you could shed some light on the, there's a connection between those, the song titles. I mean, it, it didn't start as a joke, for sure.
2: It was um, that I was traveling a lot, and whenever I'd arrive in an airport, I would think I would go to the bathroom, and often the names of those urinals were interesting.
0: Sure.
2: And so I started just collecting them, and then just over time, it just became like inspiration. Sure. The the names.
1: Uh huh.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So so that's it. Yeah, they just became kind of interesting names that gave me a vibe.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: Crane Merritt totally gives me a vibe. Caramag vibe, you know.
0: Sure. So it's just just, just that here. little bit gives you something to work with.
2: Yeah, exactly. It lets me know it's like, th- I can do this over here. I and mean, that's not that. It's not that. It's not that. It's this. That's amazing. You know, Kind of um, gave me a focus. Sure. It's funny too ish, but it was more the it wasn't supposed to be like most of the stuff. It doesn't start out as trying to be funny. It's just that as soon as I start ta- telling it to people, they start laughing, and I realize, oh, I guess that's funny.
0: Yeah. But it's a fascinating p- point, actually. I'm glad I asked. I didn't, you know, but it's an interesting point. And did you then write the tunes based on the um, sort of the, the the spark of inspiration from the names, or was it then you had... Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. So many yeah. people have such a different approach. It's sort of a small point, and maybe it's meaningless to some people, but... Just the way you title instrumental music, or the way that you know the relationship of the title to the way that the audience perceives it, or the way that you feel as a composer, or where the title even falls. Do you just write a tune and uh, it's called "Sunset on Monday" or something? Just come up with something, or is there some underlying point, you know, to what it is?
2: I mean, for me, it's really important, and it's also really important to to tell the audience, you know, to like give them some sort of insight into this piece. Because I've been on many gigs with other people where they just say the name of the piece and then we play the piece and I'm like yeah but what is that that's that didn't tell the audience like what does that mean they can you give them like a little more info or you know just kind of help help them help them out a little bit sure um, and so I yeah I, I think that does help sometimes and even even sometimes you know with music like that's strange like Claudia Quintet, if you uh, if there's a little bit of humor, that that's actually good. Cause then they realize, Oh, these guys are like human. They're like normal, you know, it's not, the music's a little weird, but they're just regular people, you know, no it doubt. can kind of help, you know, people bring their, uh, you know, the,
0: their, uh, defenses down a little bit yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and say, okay, they're normal sure. guys. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that brings us full circle back to the, the inspiration, the beginning of many of these pieces uh yeah. well, thanks john i really appreciate your your insight man it's been it's oh been great. i'm supposed
2: to, i'm sorry i'm supposed to ask you if you like cold pizza
0: wait say that again i lost you a little bit from the from the uh, lag i'm supposed on the to end. ask you if
2: you like if you if you like cold pizza <laughs> is
0: that a who came up was it david schumacher playing that in your mind i, I it's just it popped into my head it's just a question Come on, man. That's so funny. That's been following me for so many years, and this, this is pretty, pretty hilarious. I do, but not so much anymore because I live in New York, so you can get it hot and it's uh, delicious right off the thing.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> but you got to tell me now. You have to tell me the story. Well, we had a band in high school uh, that we called Cold Pizza. Some oh, friends okay. of mine. That's how. I mean, I I studied with David Schumacher back in the day, and he was a total inspiration, and he got me into a lot of music that you know still. Um, You know, it's still a big part of me. But Mm -hmm. the way that I learned how to play was really playing, putting together a rock band in high school, you know, or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. It was like whatever we wanted to do. It was kind of improvisational and whatever. But we would put on shows. We would rent out a school, like an old schoolhouse in the town, and there was nothing happening around West Mm -hmm. Newbury, Massachusetts. So Mm -hmm. we'd put on these shows and put on these concerts, and it was like these kind of wild theatrical things. And I was learning like this is how to play in keys, and this is how these instruments work. Started playing slide trumpet and all kinds of weird stuff like that, but the funniest thing is that you know it was like a high school band, and I would play for the last ten years. I'll show up in a club in, like, you know, New Haven or in in wherever Rochester or something, and somebody will yell out from the audience, "Cold pizza." And I don't know if it's like somebody from my hometown or sometimes I don't even see who they are. I'm like, what, wait, where, where did that come from? <laughs> no, it's kind of funny, but it was, a, okay. honestly, it's kind of funny, but it's a, it was a formative thing, man. It's, it makes me think of yeah. like, you know, the knitting factory approach of just being like, all right, let's uh, just come up with something and just try it out and see what happens. You know, yeah. there's a lot of value in just doing everything and trying to learn it.
2: Yeah, sure. And I think most of the, most of the development uh, comes through collaboration
0: and you know, bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and that's something that's hard to sure. do a lot of the time in, in jazz world. So often it's like, all right, well, we're going to call this guy for this and this person for this and her exactly. for this or whatever. But the idea of being like, Oh, we're going to keep a band together for a decade or whatever, yeah. or for a long time and really learn each other's playing. That's such yeah. a rare treat. And it's, it yeah. seems so common in rock and funk and whatever world. Yeah. And yet yeah. in jazz world, for some reason, I mean, there's a reason that the Coltrane quintet sounded like that or that the miles totally. quintet totally. sounded totally. like that or whatever. Yeah
2: yeah and it is really hard to keep a band together but um i yeah i do uh, recommend it highly to try to you know get together with some people you know and try to hold on to that because uh you know the music can kind of go in places that you couldn't imagine
0: mm, sure great well thanks a lot john i appreciate it All man. Right. i appreciate your All right. uh the insight my pleasure all right, gang. Well, thanks for joining us for another thought-provoking episode of Jazztopia. Huge thanks to John Hollenbeck for coming on the show and telling us a little bit about his creative process. That was amazing. Uh, listen, uh, cut the music. Cut the music. All right, I get to give a little shout-out to saxophonist and composer David Schumacher, uh, also our high school combo director, uh, really had a big influence on a lot of us, uh, many of us here in New York these days. First time I heard John Hollenbeck was actually in the Schumacher-Sanford Sound Assembly. Uh, they have a record called Edge of the Mind that is really great. Hollenbeck plays drums on that record. I got to see him when I was in high school and then later on. Uh, that was hilarious. It's hilarious, David. Good one. Good one, man. Giving him the cold pizza thing. Uh, it's hilarious. Anytime my high school rock funk band is brought back into existence somehow especially by John Hollenbeck. <laughs> all right, so that's kind of hilarious. All right, bring the music back in. All right, gang, well, thanks again for checking it out. If you like the show and you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Music and Apple Podcasts. We now have a YouTube channel, so check out the YouTube channel. We've got all the videos up there going up be able to catch this on YouTube, and it is a great hang. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, be sure to leave leave us a positive review on your favorite streaming platform of choice. Uh, Subscribe, tell your friends the whole shebang. All right, tune in next week. We've got Jennifer Wharton, and uh, we'll be talking about her band Bonegasm and their new album, Uh, Not a novelty. It's going to be a lot of fun. So be sure to tune in next Wednesday at uh, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thanks a lot, gang. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. See ya.